Everybody loves the touchdown. Throws to the back of the end zone, and it is touchdown by Holmes. The grand slam. Fly ball to center field. Ethier has done it again. It's a grand slam. The buzzer beater. Gets it to LeBron for three for the win. Yes! But how did those players get to that moment? And who built the venue and signed the contracts? Each week, we dig into the business side of sports and give you the answers. This is Sports Business Radio. Now, from our studios in Portland, Oregon, with Sports Business Radio, here's your host, Brian Berger. Well, thanks for checking out the only show in the country dedicated to covering the business side of sports. Glad you could join us this week. In our next segment, it's the Sports Business Radio Headlines of the Week. Then after that, it's Alex Kennedy with Hoops World. Linsanity has taken over the world. First, it started in New York. It's all over the United States. It spread to Asia. Jeremy Lin, what a story. We'll cover that this week, and we'll get Alex Kennedy's thought on the impact of Jeremy Lin on the NBA. Even can his agent... Roger Montgomery, is he equipped to handle the crush of requests that are coming in for Jeremy Lin from all over the world? That's coming up with Alex Kennedy in segment three. In segment four, it's our friend Jason Sobel of the Golf Channel. Tiger and Phil hooked up last weekend at Pebble Beach. We'll tell you about the TV ratings. We'll talk about what it meant for the PGA Tour. That's coming up in segment four with Jason Sobel. A couple of other notes. Visit my Sports Business blog. Download the SBR podcast on demand. Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com. You can become our Facebook friend or follow me on Twitter. Those links are available at sportsbusinessradio.com. I'm on Twitter at SB Radio. It is all Whitney the entire show. Whitney Houston passed away last weekend at the age of 48. She was fantastic. One of my favorite artists. I had the pleasure of seeing her live. And I'm telling you what, I've seen a lot of musicians live before. Best voice of any artist I've ever heard in my entire life live. She's actually better live than she is recorded. Just a fantastic performer. Such a tragedy. And uh, our thoughts and prayers go out to the family of Whitney Houston this week. I'm Brian Berger, and you're listening to Sports Business Radio. This is SBR. Back with more after this. It's the age of new media and citizen journalism. Everyone with a smartphone and a flip cam is a reporter, and everything is on the record. I'm Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio, and I team with former Nike executive Lee Weinstein to form media training company Everything is on the Record. With a combined 40 years of experience dealing with the media and helping our clients craft authentic messages, we'll help you navigate the tricky media landscape that exists today. Everything is on the Record has provided media training to pro and college athletes, coaches and executives, as well as to government leaders and CEOs. We'll teach you how to break through the clutter with your messages, and we'll also assist you when you find yourself in crises. It's time for an innovative new approach to media training that best fits the world we live in today. For more information about Everything is on the Record, visit us online at everythingisontherecord.com. Contact us today to learn more about our innovative approach to media training and how we can meet your specific needs. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at everythingisontherecord.com. It's time, baby. Special news bulletin. 
At Sports Business Radio, we're always on top of what's happening in the world of sports. And each week, we break down the stories you need to know about. This is Headlines. I want to be in the headlines. On Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio. Well, Lynn Sanity has taken over the world, Griggs, and Jeremy Lynn, a few weeks ago, it's the best story in sports. A few weeks ago, he was on the scrap heap. He was on the verge of being cut by his third team, already been waived by the Warriors and the Houston Rockets, but the New York Knicks needed someone to come in and play point guard. They had injuries, and Jeremy Lynn came in, and all he did in the first Five games was score more than any player ever had in his first five career starts since the NBA ABA merger in 1976-77. Guys on the cover of Sports Illustrated. Uh, he slept on his brother's couch, which could probably be auctioned off on eBay for tens of thousands of dollars. Now there was even a Forbes story out this week that talked about how Jeremy Lin could have added ten million dollars to the value of the Golden State Warriors franchise. And because there's such a big Asian community in the Bay Area, you could have seen increased sponsorships, ticket sales. There could have been partnerships with the Pacific Rim and Northern California. But the last stat, and this was the one that has been pretty big, 10.8% the uh, increase in Madison Square Garden stock since Jeremy Lin started playing meaningful minutes for the New York Knicks. This guy is big business for the Knicks and big business for the NBA. Yeah, it's just uh, it's been such a fun story to watch develop, and he he's just a, a dynamite athlete to watch on the court. He's phenomenal. He's excitable. He's fun. Uh, you can tell he just is is soaking it all in. There was an interview I watched with him the other day, and he was after a game, and the whole crowd was chanting MVP, 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 and he's, he couldn't talk. He's just like waving his hands. He's like, I don't know what to say. This is just phenomenal, and it's it's fun to see that. And uh, you know, he's. He's just fun to watch. It's great. Yeah, it is. And he's got an everyman quality about him. I mean, he's not a big guy. Um, he reminds a lot of people of, of Steve Nash. I think the best equation, a lot of people want to uh, you know, talk about Lynn Sanity versus Tebow mania. But I think the best parallel I've seen is Kurt Warner, who was bagging groceries, who played arena football, and then got his shot at the NFL level and... Went on and won a Super Bowl and had a, a pretty amazing career. Some would call it a Hall of Fame career for the St. Louis Rams and the Arizona Cardinals. So, you know, he was a guy who came out of nowhere. It was a fairy tale story. That's kind of what the story is with Lynn here, but he's Harvard educated. He's very smart. Um, it's going to be interesting to see can he sustain this, but I think his popularity definitely will be sustained. Yeah, and it, like you said, too, is the big Asian following, too. He's got that already back in him, so uh, that's huge. And it's got to be great for David Stern, the NBA, too, after a lockout year, you know, coming in this and having something like this happen. Uh, it, it keeps the fans really into it, and especially the young crowd. You know, it's like, here's a guy that, you know, is like the story two weeks ago. He was on his, you know, brother's couch and all this stuff, and now he's, you know making an amazing appearance in Madison Square Garden every night. He won't be playing in the NBA All-Star game, even though if he had been on the ballot at the beginning of the season, he definitely would be because, you know, the Asian community would have voted him in in force. But he will be uh, participating in the Skills Challenge, and then he's also going to be assisting his teammate, uh, Iman Shumpert, in the slam dunk contest, kind of like Baron Davis did with Blake Griffin last year. So uh, Lynn will be on hand in Orlando, also reports that he's being offered big bucks 
by promoters who are uh, putting events together in and around the All-Star Game in Orlando. So his agent, Roger Montgomery, very, very busy fielding calls, uh, not only in North America, but also in Asia for people who want a piece of Jeremy Lin. It's a great story. We'll continue to follow it. Our next headline, big golf ratings on CBS for uh, the Tiger Woods-Phil Mickelson matchup, which really fizzled, but at the beginning of the day, it held a lot of promise. They were a shot within each other. But then Phil goes out and fires a 64, finishes 17 under par, ran away from the field for the most part. Tiger fizzled. He shot a three over in the final round on Sunday. But Griggs, it was the highest rated uh, Pebble Beach tournament in 15 years for the AT&T. So lots of people wanted to see Tiger versus Phil. This is what golf needs more of. We'll talk to Jason Sobel later in the show about this matchup. Well, that's that's American golf at its finest. Those two players together, you know, coming down the the to the end like that, and uh, it's what American golf fans love, you know, and it's and even more than just American fans. But yeah, it's it's what people want to see. It's it's just a, a great matchup, and it's it's always fun. Phil was on fire. His putt his putter was just unreal. I mean, some of the putts he made were phenomenal. And then Tiger was you know missing all these little short ones all over the place. It was just crazy. And it's going to be compelling. Will these guys match up in a tournament again? Wouldn't it be great if they matched up on the final day in a major? Um, your mom, your brother, your sister, they know Tiger Woods. They know Phil Mickelson, their household names. So when they get together in a meaningful round of golf, a lot of people want to tune in and, and watch it. And that's what happened last weekend. Our final headline of the week, West Virginia is officially going to move to the Big 12 in July after settling with the Big East. You remember the Big East came out and said, hey, you're not going anywhere for at least 27 months. And then West Virginia said, oh, we'll file some legal action. We are going to get out of this because we want to leave the conference before that 27-month period expires. As it turns out, they did come to an agreement, and West Virginia will head to the Big 12 after July. Coming up next, it's Alex Kennedy with Hoops World. We will talk about the Linsanity, the Jeremy Lin phenomena. We'll talk about what it means to the NBA, what it means to the Knicks, what it's meant to his agent and the crush of phone calls that he's receiving. I'm Brian Berger. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Sing it, Whitney. Whatever you Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. Brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is David Stern. He's the commissioner of the NBA. It is always a pleasure, Brian. Bill Hancock, he's the executive director of the Bull Championship Series. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Mark, thanks for joining me. My pleasure. My guest is Mickey Loomis. He's the executive vice president and general manager of the world champion New Orleans Saints. Pleasure to be with you guys. Mr. Allen, thanks for joining me. Thank you. My guest is Mark Emmert. He's the president of the NCAA. Oh, happy to join you. My pleasure. My guest is Eric Spolstra. He's the head coach of the Miami Heat. Brian, appreciate it. Glad to, uh, glad to be on the show. Mr. Nicholas, it's an honor to have you on Sports Business Radio. Thanks for joining us. 
My pleasure, Brian. Visit sportsbusinessradio.com and subscribe to our free iTunes podcast. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter and stay connected to the business side of sports only with Sports Business Radio. Back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. We're back and we're going to talk some NBA this segment with one of the best NBA reporters out there, Alex Kennedy of Hoops World. You can follow him on Twitter at Alex Kennedy NBA. Alex, how are you today? I'm doing well. How are you? Good. Thanks for taking some time to join me. Uh, The story in the NBA, obviously, Jeremy Lin. And I guess the thing that impresses me the most about him, Alex, is here's a kid who was not highly recruited in high school. He played at Harvard in college. This guy has such poise, not only on the court, but with the media and any situation he's been put in. Give me your thoughts on Jeremy Lin. Yeah, he's extremely mature and, and as you said, poised. Uh, I got to know Jeremy during his final year at Harvard when he was preparing to uh, enter the draft. Um, I got I got to know him and his agent, Roger Montgomery. And, and really, I mean, back then, I didn't think this would happen. I mean, I thought he'd be a, a backup point guard in the league and, and maybe uh, make a roster, but I never saw this coming. I don't think anyone did. I mean, you have to wonder how Harvard ever lost any games with the way he plays and the ball's in his hand. But, um, I mean, he's just phenomenal. And really, I mean, what he's doing right now, it seems like it's sustainable. I mean, it's not like he's going out and, and making 10 threes a night or something like that. I mean, he's taking what the defense gives him. He's uh, initiating contact and drawing fouls and, and running the pick and roll very well. So I've been extremely impressed. I think it's an excellent story. And uh, just because of, uh, like you said, I mean, undrafted, didn't even get a, an athletic scholarship out of college, and, and now he's a starting point guard for the New York Knicks and one of the biggest stars in the sports world, at least for uh, these couple of weeks. Well, and so much of sports is not only timing, but it's location, where you are. And it seems like he's such a great fit in Mike D'Antoni's system. Maybe he wouldn't be a great fit in another system, but he's in the right system. Yeah, you're definitely right. Uh, yeah, that's the perfect system for him. And I think all season long we talked about how Mike D'Antoni's system needs a point guard. And Tony Douglas and Iman Shumpert aren't really typical point guards. I mean, Iman's more of a two that was converted, and, and he's not really he doesn't have great court vision. Uh, Tony Douglas is more of a scorer. So they just need a guy like Jeremy to come in and be able to not only score the ball, but be able to style their players up and make the people around him better. And that's what he's done with, I mean, everyone from Steve Novak to to Bill Walker <laughs> to uh, Tyson Chandler. So it's been very interesting to just watch him develop. And you're right. I mean, not only is he in the right system, but he's also in the right market. I mean, I'm not sure how big of a story this would be if he wasn't in New York. Obviously, I mean, it's a fantastic story, but would it be uh, would it be the lead on uh, every single sports show. I'm not sure, but it's been a phenomenal story nonetheless. Well, he's got that kind of everyman quality about him. Here's a guy who struggled to get on an NBA roster. He was waived twice, and the Knicks picked him up off the scrap heap, and now look what he's doing. It's just an amazing story. The only story in sports I can even relate it to is maybe Kurt Warner and what he did back in the day with the Rams. That's an excellent comparison. I know everyone's saying Tim Tebow because... Uh, of his strong faith and religious values and how he wants to be a pastor when he's done playing basketball. But you're right, I think the Kurt Warren comparison is perfect. Uh, I, I haven't heard a better comparison than that just because, uh, I mean, we all know what happened with Kurt, just having to bounce around and play in every single league or show. Basically, anywhere there was a football, he showed up and tried to throw it around. And then, obviously, he ends up in the NFL. That's an excellent comparison. And, and you know, you have to wonder if the Warriors and Rockets are kicking themselves. I know the Warriors feel like they had to release Jeremy if they wanted to make a run at DeAndre Jordan or Jason Schiller over the summer. Um, and ultimately, they tried to actually re-sign him once he cleared waivers uh, from the Houston Rockets. But obviously, the Knicks got in there and signed him first. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's been very interesting. And I saw you tweet something very interesting, too, that 
the Knicks would have, or the Warriors would have increased their uh, their sales by ten million dollars if they had kept Jeremy. I mean, it is phenomenal. Not only is uh, is he really a great story and a great player. I mean, he's also huge in the aging community too, and and he's a fan favorite everywhere he goes. So. It's been a lot of fun to see his ascent to stardom. Alex Kennedy of Hoops World is joining us. You can follow him on Twitter at AlexKennedyNBA. Talk to me about Lynn's agent, because this guy, I would imagine Jeremy Lynn, is getting all kinds of opportunities thrown his way. Is his agent equipped to handle the crush that's probably coming their way? Yes. I mean, I'm a huge fan of his agent, Roger Montgomery. Uh, In the past, he hasn't really had a ton of NBA clients. Um, Right now, his only clients really are Maurice Evans. Uh, from the Washington Wizards and uh, and Sonny Williams, who's overseas, but he'll be he'll be back in the NBA soon. But it's funny, I think uh, during the lockout, he had tons of requests for Mo Evans because he was the vice president of the Players Association. So I think that kind of helped prepare him for what Jeremy's going through now. Obviously, not as big of a scale, but uh, but it definitely did prepare him. And and Roger's a great guy, and I, I think he's just as shocked as everyone. I mean, a week ago, Jeremy was his lowest paid client. He had guys overseas that were making more than Jeremy was because he was on a minimum deal. And uh, now all of a sudden Jeremy's the rock star that everyone's contacting to come to Orlando. And, and they literally Rogers talked to, to promoters that have said, name your price, and, and we want to have Jeremy at our party or our event during All-Star Weekend. We'll pay anything. So now, I mean, Lynn's kind of his meal ticket at this point. But, yeah, Roger, Roger I think, can handle it. And, and it's going to be interesting to see what happens with Jeremy this summer in free agency. I mean, the Knicks can... I mean, he'll be a restricted free agent, so the Knicks can match any offer he gets. Um, but you know some teams have to go out there and throw some money at him, and you have to wonder if, they, if a team makes a big enough offer, would the Knicks still match it? I mean, at this point, with how he's playing, it's hard to imagine him uh, him not being in New York, but if he goes back down to earth, you have to wonder where his value will be in free agency. Last question on this. Everyone's wondering how will Jeremy Lin play with Amari Stoudemire and Carmelo Anthony. We saw last night Amari's first game back after the death of his brother, 21 points, 9 rebounds. I'm not worried about Amari because he's played with Steve Nash and they know how to play pick and roll. Carmelo, when the ball goes to him, it doesn't move around a lot after that. I'm wondering how that's going to work out. What do you think? Yeah, you're right about Amari. I think Amari's just going to be a, a nice weapon for him because they can run the pick and roll together. And, and I know he's excited to play with Amari. And, I mean, he's saying all the right things about playing with Carmelo, too. He's saying that Carmelo's the top-class scorer in the league and he makes my job easier as a point guard. But uh, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, when, when Carmelo catches the ball, there's times where – He'll drain the entire shot clock and then put up a bad shot, and, and he's kind of known as a ball stop. So it'll be interesting. I think at some point Carmelo needs to realize that uh, right now the team is winning because of ball movement and, and defense and things like that, and, and those are things that Carmelo is necessarily known for. So maybe uh, maybe this stretch is going to make Carmelo realize that. I mean, he doesn't need to adjust to Jeremy Lin. Obviously, he's the top player in the league, but just adjust his style of play in general. Maybe have some more ball movement and share the ball. Uh, you know, that's going to be big for the Knicks if they want to keep this up. And, you know, if, if Carmelo comes back and, and goes back to his old ways and they start losing, he's going to hear from everyone that they need to go back to uh, what was working when they had ball movement and putting the ball in Jeremy's hands. So it's going to be interesting. It's definitely an interesting experiment. Jeremy's excited to see what happens, and uh, I think everyone else is too. I think they can coexist, but uh, it may take a little bit of time. Alex, I appreciate your time. It was great to talk to you. Let's catch up again soon. Definitely. Thanks for having me. Podcast this show and any other past SBR episode at sportsbusinessradio.com. Back with more SBR after this.
Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. It's no secret that we're battling a tough economy these days. It's more difficult than ever for companies to position their brand in a unique way and reach their target audience. Sports Business Radio can help you, though. Sports Business Radio is syndicated in markets nationwide. Our popular podcast is regularly rated in the top 100 business news podcasts on iTunes and has listeners around the world. But our radio network and podcast aren't the only places your company will receive exposure when you join our family of sponsors. We'll also give you exposure via sportsbusinessradio.com and at our new Sports Executive Speaker Series events, which feature a conversation with a key decision maker from the world of sports in front of a live audience. And best of all, we can expose your product to the big-name guests that appear on our show. We'd love to have you on our team. Please contact me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com or at 503-701-2215 if you're interested in becoming a sponsor of Sports Business Radio. The website is sportsbusinessradio.com. Joining me on the phone right now is Jason Sobel of the Golf Channel. Jason, how are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on today. Hey, no problem. Always enjoy our conversation. So, Sunday uh, built up as a big day, the duel between Phil and Tiger, and, and Phil really took it to Tiger. You were there. Um, Phil seems very confident right now. He does seem very confident. Of course, with Phil Mickelson, that confidence can change on a week-to-week and even round-to-round basis, so I'm not sure I necessarily buy into the long-term after-effects that can happen when Phil beats Tiger in a pairing such as this at Pebble Beach, but... Uh, it certainly gives him good feelings going forward, and, and it's certainly going to be one of the highlights of his career. I asked him afterwards, uh, after the four major championships that he's won, where does this rank uh, on the list of most satisfying victories? And he said it, it was certainly up there. It was among the most emotional, um, just because of what Pebble Beach means to him, uh, because his wife, Amy, was there to spend the weekend with him, because uh, Bones was, of course, there with him, which I guess Bones has been there for every single one of his wins as a professional anyway, but um, and he didn't mention the fact that he did it with Tiger Woods on the other side of the tee box watching him shoot a 64 the entire day, but I'm just going to guess that that was a little part of that as well. Yeah, I would guess so. Phil's had really good success in his head-to-head matchups with Tiger over the years, hasn't he? He really has, and you know, I think a lot of people have claimed that this is not a rivalry just because Tiger has 71 career PGA Tour wins and 14 majors, and Phil has 40 and 4. Uh, that said, this is still very much a rivalry between two guys who have been in their primes for 15, 17 years together as professionals. And um, over their 29 career official meetings, now this is, it gets a little weird, this number, because they're unofficial events that they played in together, such as the 2009 HSBC Champions event in China. But their 29 official events, uh, Tiger holds an advantage of 13, 12, and 4. And, uh, and of course, uh, as we've all heard, in their last five meetings, Phil has beaten Tiger head-to-head, and he actually has a better record in their final round meetings overall as well. So um, e- even though Tiger has better records throughout his career, when facing up head-to-head and playing each other uh, face-to-face, it, it really is a wash uh, between the two guys. Well, and it was great for the PGA Tour because the ratings on TV on CBS this past weekend, the highest in 15 years of this tournament. So great start to the PGA Tour season, building some buzz for golf, which is very important. Absolutely. Um, you know, and, and I would throw in the week before as well. With Kyle Stanley losing the way he did at Torrey Pines and then bouncing back to win in Phoenix, I thought 
that gave golf a big boost because it's really the cultivation of a new, uh, I don't want to call him a superstar, but at least a new big-name player, a young player um, who, who has potential to be a superstar, sort of right in front of our eyes unfolding. And then, of course, we get Phil Mickelson, the, the old uh, superstar, the genuine guy who's been there for more than two decades. So um, the fact that we get those in back-to-back weeks, it really does help jumpstart the season. And no offense to guys like Johnson Wagner and Mark Wilson, but we need more players like that winning events or at least getting into contention for golf really to uh, be in the mainstream and, and be in the, the consciousness of most sports fans' eyes. Jason Sobel of the Golf Channel joining me. Jason, let's talk Tiger Woods. He played better at the end of last year. He uh, got the clinching point in the President's Cup. He won the Chevron Open. But uh, is he going to be able to turn things around this year? Because golf sorely needs him to be in the mix. I really think so. Uh, before the season, I said that I thought Tiger Woods would win three times this year, including one major championship. Uh, I'm not wavering from that after seeing him play two events so far this year, one on the PGA Tour, of course, this past week at Pebble Beach. Uh, uh, that said, look, it's a that would be a below-average season for Tiger Woods, but it would be better than anybody else on the PGA Tour performed last year. So uh, we really do... Uh, live in an age of parity right now, which we haven't seen in a very, very long time since before the Tiger Woods era developed. So uh, that wouldn't necessarily be a bad season, wouldn't be bad numbers for Tiger Woods at all. I, I think that he'll struggle at times, um, as we saw this week. Uh, over the course of the first two days, I was out there on the course watching every single one of his shots over all four rounds. First two days, I thought he uh, he drove it beautifully, almost flawlessly. Uh, his ball striking was very good at times, got a little loose at times, but for the most part, I'd give him a solid B, B-plus on his ball striking. And, and his putting wasn't there. And then his putting uh, returned on Saturday at Pebble Beach. He didn't strike the ball as well. And we all kind of said, well, if he puts it all together and strikes the ball really well on Sunday and puts really well, he could win this going away. And instead, it was the exact opposite, where he never got the ball striking back and couldn't putt either. So uh, if I'm Tiger Woods, I take all positives out of what happened this week because at some point during those four rounds, he was doing everything that he needed to do really, really well. He just didn't do it all together at once. Tiger Woods used to step into the tee box against opponents, and it was kind of like Mike Tyson stepping into the ring. The opponents kind of wilted before the first tee shot. He doesn't seem to have that intimidation factor anymore, does he? You know, I've had this conversation so many times over the years. I just... I've never bought into the intimidation factor. Look, there were players who went out there in a final round, final pairing with Tiger Woods, and knew that he was the better player and tried to play as well as they could because they really wanted to beat him. And maybe maybe they sort of outthought it a little bit and, and tried too hard and didn't beat him. But for the most part, I've talked to other players who have been in these situations over the years, and they say, look, he's better than me. And he's hitting shots that I can't hit. So even if I go out there and shoot 68 in the final round, if he shoots 65 to beat me, it's not that I choked or played badly. It's just that he's better and he outplayed me. And I think that's really what's happened over the years. And you're right. Now we're seeing, you know, dating back to the 2009 PGA Championship where Y.E. Yang uh, came in down by two and played with Tiger Woods in the final pairing and won by two. Um, he, he isn't invincible anymore. Robert Rock showed that in Abu Dhabi a few weeks ago, and Phil Mickelson certainly showed that this past week. That said, um, does it mean that every guy out there now has Tiger Woods' number and, and whoever's on the other side of the tee box can go out there and beat him on any given day? I, I don't know about that. Uh, I still think that Tiger Woods 
still has some final round mojo left in him. I, I don't know if I'd characterize his, uh, his future just based on these last two events. Jason, last question for you. Give me a under-the-radar player that is going to have a good year this year that we may not be thinking about right now. You know, if you'd asked me a month ago, I would have given you Kyle Stanley, but now I can't do that anymore <laughs> because he's already up there. Yeah. Uh, so I, I, I've got to jump off my, my under-the-radar player and give you somebody else. Um, I, you know, look, I, I think Sergio Garcia, who's making his PGA Tour debut this week in Los Angeles at the Northern Trust Open, I think he's primed for a big, big year. I'm not sure if that's under-the-radar enough for you, but Sergio's a guy who has struggled with his games over his game over the years. He's struggled, of course, with his putting, but I spent some time with Sergio early last year and late last year, and it was like two different people. Early in the year, he was... Oh, a little immature, a little sort of uh, a little brash, a little arrogant. And late in the year, he just seemed like the happiest guy in the world. He looked like he had just uh, matured. He, he looked like he was happy in his own skin. He looked like he was uh, confident. He looked like he was ready to go out there and enjoy playing golf again. And what turned it around for him? Right there. What turned it around for him, Jason? I, I think it was a lot of things in his personal life. I, I think he was going through some, uh, it, it, you know, just, just some personal things, uh, you know, love life problems, family problems, things like that. And, you know, everyone goes through it, whatever your line of work is. It, it may affect what you're doing uh, and it may affect the rest of your life. And certainly golf is a mental pursuit. And, and when you have those other things going on, you can't play the best golf you can. So, um, so I, I think it was some of that. And, and, uh, who knows? Maybe he's he's gotten some talks from people he respects behind the scenes who have told him, look, you need to man up, you need to be more mature, and, and you need to treat this like it's a job. And, and I think he's going out there and not only treating it like a job, but treating it like a job that he loves once again. And that was even before he won twice in Spain at the end of last year. So I think that pretends very good things for his upcoming future. Well, that would also be terrific for golf if Sergio Garcia, who is also a household name, returned to prominence. Jason Sobel of the Golf Channel. Follow him on Twitter at Jason Sobel GC. Jason, thanks so much for taking time, and we'll talk to you soon. Sounds great. Thanks for having me on. Stay in the know at sportsbusinessradio.com. Podcasts, blogs, and more. SBR will be right back. It's the age of new media and citizen journalism. Everyone with a smartphone and a flip cam is a reporter and everything is on the record. I'm Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio, and I team with former Nike executive Lee Weinstein to form media training company Everything is on the Record. With a combined 40 years of experience dealing with the media and helping our clients craft authentic messages, we'll help you navigate the tricky media landscape that exists today. Everything is on the Record has provided media training to pro and college athletes, coaches and executives, as well as to government leaders and CEOs. We'll teach you how to break through the clutter with your messages and we'll also assist you when you find yourself in crises. It's time for an innovative new approach to media training that best fits the world we live in today. For more information about Everything is on the Record, visit us online at everythingisontherecord.com. Contact us today to learn more about our innovative approach to media training and how we can meet your specific needs. 
Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at everythingisontherecord.com. This is Sports Business Radio. Well, the year was 1991, and it was an emotional time in the United States. Desert Storm was underway, and Whitney Houston was asked to sing the national anthem at the Super Bowl. It was an emotional day, and after she sang this rendition of the national anthem, many people thought and still think to this day, the best rendition ever of the National Anthem by a performer. This sold 750,000 copies in eight days. It actually went to number five on the Top 40 chart and was a very, very popular song. Here's Whitney Houston at the 1991 Super Bowl singing the National Anthem. Griggs, I get chills just listening to that. Uh, You know, Whitney Houston was an incredible talent. It's incredibly sad that she's gone. And, you know, there's a lot of times, I don't want to go on a long rant here, but a lot of people came out of the woodwork and said, oh my gosh, I can't believe that she's gone. She was 48 years old. She had a history of problems. And it's just sad when people who have talent like that don't see their own talent. They put so much pressure on themselves. And everyone else, like me, like you, appreciated her talent. But to herself, you know, her voice may not have been what it used to be today. So anyways, it's tragedy. If you ever see someone around you who looks like they're struggling with anything, we've watched Josh Hamilton of the Texas Rangers go through some things recently where he's had some uh, red flags that he sent out and people are helping him now. Hey, always ask if you can help because you never know when someone may need an extra hand. 
Yeah, I agree. And uh, yeah, just listening to that national anthem, it's just, it is phenomenal. I think that is the best <laughs> ever. And like the stats you gave before that were phenomenal, too, how it went up the top 40 charts and stuff. Never been done before. And she did that in, the, in her, her career over and over and over again. I mean, the song she sang and, and just the smile she sang with, and she just was phenomenal to watch. So yeah, I mean, and I'm on the younger side of things, but I even experienced her in like high school. I was, she was just phenomenal. I mean, when you hear that voice, you're like, you know who it is right when you hear it. I saw Whitney Houston with Boys to Men in 1994 in Portland. And I'm telling you what, like I said earlier in the show, um, I used to work for the Blazers in the Rose Garden Arena, so I would see all the artists that would come in. And many of them, let's just say, were aided by uh, special effects to help their voice sound better. Some of them lip sync. Whitney Houston was the real deal. And of all the artists I've ever seen in my life live, best voice of any artist I've ever heard. So she'll be missed. Her talent... We don't see the likes of people with her talent very often, and it's a very, very sad thing. Thanks for tuning in this week. I want to thank our show staff, Brian Griggs, Josh Blank, Jared Melzer, Doug Zanger, and Max Waterman. Our guests, Alex Kennedy and Jason Sobel. A podcast reminder, you can catch our show on demand via podcast. Just click on the iTunes icon on the front page of sportsbusinessradio.com to have our show podcast. Downloaded your iTunes every week. You can follow me on Twitter at SB Radio. For Brian Griggs, I'm Brian Berger. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you soon right here on Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. Brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is David Stern. He's the commissioner of the NBA. It is always a pleasure, Brian. Bill Hancock, he's the executive director of the Bull Championship Series. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Mark, thanks for joining me. My pleasure. My guest is Mickey Loomis. He's the executive vice president and general manager of the world champion New Orleans Saints. Pleasure to be with you guys. Mr. Allen, thanks for joining me. Thank you. My guest is Mark Emmert. He's the president of the NCAA. Oh, happy to join you. My pleasure. My guest is Eric Spolstra. He's the head coach of the Miami Heat. Brian, appreciate it. Glad to, glad to be on the show. Mr. Nicholas, it's an honor to have you on Sports Business Radio. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Brian. Visit sportsbusinessradio.com and subscribe to our free iTunes podcast. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter and stay connected to the business side of sports only with Sports Business Radio. 